Schultz, the originator, the creator of the Peanuts cartoons, was also a devout Christian. <clears throat> he was asked to create this beloved cartoon uh, into this special on TV, and he said yes on one condition, that you don't take out the Luke 2 scene, uh, the reading of the Christmas story, and the TV executives are, are said to have pushed back, and he pushed back on them, and, uh, and he won. And as a result, over the 50-plus years, millions and millions of people hear the gospel, the truth of the birth of Christ, every Christmas in their homes. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Now, a few years back, people started to realize the hidden message in what we just saw right there. That is that Linus, who carries the security blanket with him everywhere he goes, when at the moment in the scripture when he says, fear not, he sets it down. Did you all see that? Have you caught that before? And he put that in there to show us uh, the truth of the gospel and its effects. And that's actually one of the Christmas gifts from God that we're going to study today and draw out of the text. But a little bit of continuation about that story, some people will rightly observe that Linus picked that blanket back up when he was finished. And so we do. We pick up our fears right back up again. But have you noticed that at the end of the film, he sets his blanket down again, and this time once for all at the foot of the tree that represents Jesus, that humble tree, the king of humility. That's our Jesus, the king of kings. Well, our series in this wonderful Advent series season has been Christmas Gifts from God. And we're in Luke chapter 2, so open with me if you haven't yet. And if you need a bulletin in the sermon notes and anything else, raise your hand. Ushers will give you one. Let's follow along. If you visited last week for our children's Christmas program and have returned, welcome back. It's great to have you back here the week before Christmas. And if this is your first time, welcome to Community Grace. We're so glad that God led you to join us today. As we're challenged by his word together today, we are studying the very best Christmas gifts. What are those? They're the gifts that God gives us. That's what we're studying this month, this Advent season. We started with the best Christmas gift of all that the Cell family proclaimed up here. That's Jesus himself. The best Christmas gift ever. God incarnate, God's spirit essence creator took on flesh and humility to become one of us, to reach us, to save us. And then our youth director, Sean Mason, preached the second gift. That is that Jesus' hope is for everyone. That his hope is for everyone. Now, with those two bedrock foundational gifts from God, we, we're going to build on those today as we mine this scripture even further, and we're going to find, we're going to draw out four more Christmas gifts from God today from this text. This passage from Luke 2 is about the advent of Christ, that is the coming, the coming of God to us. It's about the nativity, the Navidad of Christ, the birth of the Christ, the Messiah, God as human. It's very common that we read this text, this Luke chapter 2. It is a glorious text from God. But because it is so common, we read about it. Linus reads it every year. And I want you to read it in your homes. And I hope that you do this week or maybe on Christmas Day, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2. But there's a danger that I, I want to make sure none of us falls into. And that is it becomes so familiar that we don't fully understand it. And we don't fully radically have our lives changed by it. So let's seek to do those things today as we explore these verses very deeply, very excitingly. 
the four Christmas gifts from God that we can draw out today. The first that we come to is the end of fear. The end of fear. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But there are many spiritual enemies, and there are fear mongers among us in, in, in humanity that don't want you to believe this truth, that don't want you to understand it and to claim it for yourself. But Jesus says this is the end of fear, and that's the first Christmas gift that we draw out today from his word. Start with me in verse 8. And here we have the setup. It's very familiar, but let's put ourselves there. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, we've established in previous weeks who the shepherds were. They were the most lowly in society at the time. They were ceremonially unclean. It was a dirty job. It was the job, not that you shoot for, but that you end up with. That was the life of a shepherd. And this was God's point. That was by God's design to show that his hope is for everyone, every one of us, every human. God came in all of his splendor from heaven. He came to our existence in humility. He came humbly. He came to a humble mom and family, and he proclaimed his coming first to the most humble of people in society. That was by his design. His salvation is for absolutely everyone. Do you believe that everyone is presented the chance to be saved? Do we live like this is good news and that Jesus loves everyone? I just want you to sit and think about that. Do I live in such a way that everyone deserves to hear about Jesus? Okay, what are the gifts? Imagine with me now as we proceed that we're there on that hillside in Bethlehem. It's dark, so just imagine. We're with our sheep, surrounded by the sights and the smells of the sheep and ourselves, from not having showered for a while, and our fellow shepherds. We're there on that night, and we've got work to do, and we're tired and sleepy, and it's very dark, and we can see the, the stars, countless stars, because streetlights hadn't been invented yet. And so there we are on that night, and things are relatively peaceful. And then we come to verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Fear not. And he gives the reason. For behold, you've got to behold this reason. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So let's back up, see what we see here. First of all, the glory of the Lord. This is the Shekinah glory. This is the glory of God that's been showing around him since the very beginning. This is the glory of the Lord that was revealed in the tabernacle and then later that appeared in the temple. The glory of the Lord that Moses had to turn his back to because if he faced it, it would kill him. The glory of the Lord that was appeared in the pillars of cloud and the fire. This is the glory, the Shekinah glory of the Lord. Now, between the Old Testament, you may not know this, but the Old Covenant between God and his people, and this break, breakthrough of the New Covenant, the New Testament, there was a period of 400 years of silence from God. And this is an interesting fact of world history. There were no 
manifestations of God's glory. There were no new prophecies revealed. It was silence. And so the reappearance of God's Shekinah glory there on that hillside in Bethlehem was a big deal. The silence was broken. It was so significant that it had returned. Why did it return? Because it is time for the glory's fulfillment in the coming of the Son of God. And there they were, the shepherds, they were afraid. Literally, that word is, they feared with a great fear. That's when you face the glory of God. But they weren't the first humans to be afraid. No, humans have been fearful creatures, every single one of us, since the very beginning. Adam and Eve, the very first man and first woman, the Bible says, were scared at the time of the fall. It created a fear in them. And then on and on, Abraham, the great Abraham, lied about Sarah for fear of his safety. Jacob was afraid of Esau's revenge. Moses was scared of what God was calling him to do. The whole nation of Israel was scared to go into the promised land. And on and on and on, all the way to all of us right now, we are fearful creatures be humans. We have fears brought about all kinds of things, fears about our family, fears about our health, fears about the security of our finances, or uncertainty about our future, or fears about our image, what people think of us, or being rejected, or fears about suffering, fears of the dark. And on and on and on, we are fearful creatures. But the angel told the shepherds, not to be afraid that the news was so good, it's the end of fear. Your Savior is right down the road, was the angel's message. And for us today, your Savior is right here and available to you. So what do we do? We turn to Jesus. And what did Jesus say? John 14, 27, Jesus flat out says to us, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And gives two commands. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. If you're afraid of anything today, and I'm speaking to myself because I know what I'm afraid of, but if you're afraid of anything, if we're ever afraid of anything, it's because you're not turning to him. And you're not grasping this and understanding this and claiming this from Jesus himself. The gospel of great joy through him, Jesus Christ. And that is the second gift from God that we see in our text today. This is the reason we have no fear. The second gift from God is the birth of joy. The birth of joy. No fear, all joy. This is the, these are the gifts from God at Christmas time. Wasn't that a wonderful song set we just sang? The three songs in a row about the joy of God. I don't know about you, but I enjoy it. I think we all enjoyed it. I could hear you singing. Joy to the world. There's joy in the house of the Lord. I've got the joy, 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 joy. And here it is in the text right here, the Christmas gift from God. Join with me in verses 10 and 11. 10 again. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, here's the reason, and we need to behold it. I bring you good news of great joy. That's the reason. This is the joy. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, and then he gives him two titles, who is Christ the Lord. The angel's message was the same good news back then as it is today, the type that can bring you everlasting, unquenchable, unbeatable, unconquerable joy in your life, no matter what the circumstances are. And when the circumstances are bad, we have to remind us of this, but this is... It, we have it, it's the fruit of the Spirit that lives within us, is joy. I've heard it said, joy expresses what we can't express in words. The joy of Jesus. Why all this joy? Why all this joy that we should have, that we are entitled to have by Christ? Because our Savior has been born, and he wasn't just any baby, he was God, he is a Savior who is, look at the two titles again, Christ, and he is the Lord. He's Christ, that means he is the Messiah. He is the one of God, the anointed one of God, the promised one who is the Savior, who takes away all the sins of the world, who takes away all the sins that you've committed and the mistakes that you've made, and takes them on himself. And he is the Lord, that means he's fully God with absolute power and authority to do so and to be our God. This is the good news. That means the evangel, the good news. And the angels, the angels who dwell in God's presence and who don't even need salvation, they're pumped about it. And they're proclaiming it. Why all this joy? Why all this joy? Christ the Lord. Why? Else, because our Savior is still alive today, and we can always have his joy today by trusting in him every moment, all the time, and he'll give it. What kind of joy can the Christian have? We see lots of illustrations about that. And maybe you have been involved in some of these kind of illustrations. Maybe you've seen them. They're all around in the face of a terrible tragedy or in the face of horrible news. A Christian who has come to Jesus and has come to fully grasp the extent of the joy that he gives us in whatever the circumstances, their joy becomes unmistakable and they can smile. Christians filled with the hope and the peace and the joy that the gospel brings have been blowing people's minds for 2,000 years. Such has been the case this very week with our brother and sister Dennis and Kathy Boyd. If you're on the prayer list, or maybe you've seen on Facebook, they discovered that our brother Dennis has aggressive cancer that has spread throughout his entire body. We've been talking with him and praying for them, but I have a message from them right now. One thing he said was they drained 42 ounces of fluid from his lungs, and he said, what a relief that was. can imagine. But his prognosis presently is not good. And we're praying for his healing, and God is the healer. But he is joyful. He is joyful. So I asked him a couple questions, and I asked if, he, if I could share his, his answers this morning. And he said, absolutely. He said, I will share anything that will enhance faith in the amazing God we serve. I asked him, what are you, what are you thinking about God? And he said this. He said, it always seems in times of difficulties that God is closer this has brought me into a new perspective of who our God is and how much we need to depend on him. 
As the song says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. My full trust and hope is totally in him. He will never leave or forsake me no matter what the outcome. Be encouraged by these words. They're truth. And then he asked us if we would just pray for his family, for their strength and peace. Why all this joy? Because Jesus gave it to us. Because our problems are solved by his actions. He came to save. He came to give salvation and unquenchable joy and the end of fear. That is our great God. And now with these first two gifts, we can answer our question that's in the message title. What happens with no fear and all joy? What happens now? When we trust in God's Son, Jesus, it can be the end of fear and the beginning of life, and with it all joy. Praise God. Praise God. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it that we need to and that we get to do with it. And that leads us to the third Christmas gift from God, from this passage, and that is the beginning of evangelism. You see, this is a gift that Jesus gives us. The gift to be able to give to the world the very thing that it needs the most. We get to do this. We get to give this. This is evangelism. The world around us and the, and the world around the globe is lost without Jesus. It's lost in different religions and cults and faiths and worldview that has them separated from God, from the Savior, and lost in sin and standing under God's con condemnation, righteous and just. Worldviews. What are worldviews? Worldviews are ways of viewing the world. It's the lens through which we interpret the meaning of everything that we see. We all have them. And it's true, there are many worldviews that keep people in darkness. So before we get to the text in verses 12 through 20, to draw out this gift from God, let me identify four of the biggest worldviews. There are others, but these are the four of the biggest categories of worldviews in the world. Eight billion people in the world right now, so many of them lost in wrong faiths and wrong worldviews, absence from the good news of great joy. The first is atheism. Atheism is a worldview that comes from the belief that there is no God. And now if that's true, then this life is all we have. There's no God who came for us, there's no God with us. There's no God who welcomes us. There's no hope, and there's no help, and there's no purpose. What a horrific worldview. And it's on the rise today. And what are the results? Self-medication and despair and suicide are also on the rise along with it. This worldview of meaninglessness and despair We need to have sympathy and empathy for people who are claiming that. But many people are more honest than the atheist because the Bible says every person has a soul that longs to know its creator. 
So there are honest people that recognize there's more to life in this existence than just the material world. We have a soul, so it keeps a dead body from being dead, so it keeps us alive. And there is a God, there is a God out there. So there are other big worldviews that give a nod to the presence of God. Here's number two, pantheism and panentheism. Pantheism is that everything is God, every, everything is God and panentheism is that God is everything. They, they're they go hand in hand. This is a general worldview that's made up of a lot of different religions. And it's a basic worldview that everything is God and, and part of the divine force. And the rise of mostly Eastern religions and philosophies are sweeping our nation, even from something like yoga that teaches you to go into yourself to lots of other ways of getting in touch with the divine force in order to bring healing to yourself. There is no God that's outside of us to help us. There's no judge. There's no justice. There's just good and evil kind of mixed together. And this is mainstreamed by people like Oprah, many others. And it's sweeping through American churches as well. A lot of Eastern influence. And this worldview, though, leaves us with no absolute truth. It wipes away absolute truth. It wipes away a God who is there to help us in our hurts and our abuse and our pain of all kinds. And the result, when you're your own savior and really have no hope, it's more self-medication and more, more despair. But some will say, well, okay, no, I believe in, in a God who's other. But this is, brings on a third category, theism. That is that God exists, but he is no savior. No, you must still save yourself. And so we have all the cults and religions and works-based religions, and there are many of them that have this basic worldview that we must do penance, we must earn God's favor, he's not pleased with you, he won't save you until you do better and try harder. And the results of this worldview are twofold. One is pride. Pride comes from you start making the rules and you start trusting in those rules, and you either feel very good about yourself because you have your rules or you feel very bad about yourself and a false humility is pride as well. And then you condemn other people for not following and living up to your rules. That is pride. Self-righteous people are among the worst. They're the ones who murdered Christ. The other effect is despair again, more despair. In despair, you don't run to God, you run from God because... He's out to do nothing but punish you. You know, this is so common. And maybe this is your relationship with God today. Maybe this is your understanding of God. You're running from him. He's been punishing you. He hates you. You're, you're scared of him in an unhealthy way. Listen, God sent his son to endure the punishment for our sins. Can I get an amen for that? We don't have to run and chase and earn God's favor and be afraid of his punishment once we trust Jesus because Jesus already paid it. No, God's not out to punish you once you're in Christ. God doesn't love us because we're good. He loves us because he's good. And that's the gospel that makes Christianity different than any other worldview or religion or faith in the world. That's the only worldview that satisfies, that's worth believing, that's worth proclaiming, to the world, 
and giving our lives 100% to. That's the only one. And that is the fourth category. That's real Christianity, not a fake or false Christianity and a different Jesus that's in the Bible, but real Christianity. Again, please don't feel so familiar with the nativity story at Christmas time that you don't fully understand and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and have your life radically changed from the old self to the new self in Christ. God's worldview is this, that Jesus is God, the creator. He made us in his image to love us and to lead us and to save us and to sanctify us. That means make us more like Jesus. To give us rescue that we need. To give us power and purpose and help along the way. He is the one who came. He is Emmanuel, God, with us. He is our salvation. He is the one who got mocked and scorned and beaten and crucified for us and took our sins on the cross to die for them. Oh, the goodness of God. And then to rise, and then to be our Lord who's here with us now and who calls us to himself and will call us to be home with him in the end for eternity. Friends, brothers and sisters, like I said, everybody has a worldview, and the danger is that we take a little bit of Jesus and inject him into some other false worldview. Please don't do that. We need to study the word of God and follow that Jesus. In all other worldviews, there is no Savior unless it's us. <laughs> and that's not good. That's not good. It's not good enough. The good news is God is our Savior. And that is great joy for all the peoples. This is gift number three, the beginning of evangelism, which the word evangelism literally means to go and tell this good news, to go and tell the good news. That's what evangelism means, to proclaim, to tell. Now, let's go to the text, verses 12 through 20. We see, first of all, the angels start this going and telling movement. The angels start it. Let's see, verse 20. And this will be a sign for you, they said, or he said, still just one angel. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So in verse 13, all of a sudden, they were terrified of the one angel. Now there's a whole sky full of them, and the glory of God is amplified. And I would say, picture it like you're a first century shepherd on that dark hill in Bethlehem, and all of a sudden it's like you're in the football field at Notre Dame, and all the lights come on all around you. I mean, that might not even be bright and powerful enough. And they're saying, glory to God in the highest. They're proclaiming that good news. Verse 15, let's see what else happens. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They heard the good news proclaimed. They believed it. They received it. They responded to it. They obeyed. They went, 
They wanted to hear more, see more, discover more, learn more, and they found that it was all true. And the beginning of evangelism, that's telling about Jesus, takes off. The angels started it. The shepherds take it off. And what did they do with his best of good news ever? Verse 17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Ah, but here we have a, a different reaction. Mary, verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then back to the shepherds. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So like the shepherds, we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the birth of Christ. Here they were. Here we are celebrating and glorifying and praising God in such a way that despite any pain, we can be filled with joy. Despite any fear, we can overcome that fear. And we can celebrate in a way that lights up our homes, that lights up our workplaces, our neighborhoods, not just inside the church all over the place, because you can't help but radiate the glory of God and tell everyone about it. That's the right reaction to such good news. Now, you might respond like Mary. Verse 19 again, and this is good. This is healthy. She introspected. That means overwhelmed. She had a reaction like, like some of us would. She turned to meditate on it, treasuring these things, pondering them in her heart. See, the good news of Jesus... Listen to this. We need to meditate on that, on its glories, on understanding it, on how it should change and dictate all of our decisions, on how we worship God. We need to treasure that and ponder that. It's called preaching the gospel to yourself every day. The gospel doesn't just get you saved. It is the power, and it transforms your life all the time. And so that's good to be introspective like that, and meditate on that. That's a good response. But it's neat how Luke just ties, drops that right in there and then goes right back to the shepherds. No, they're not introspecting right now. They take off and they're telling everyone about Jesus. Both of these are good reactions. The right responses. Proclaiming salvation is here for everyone to hear about. Everyone who will receive it. Salvation has come. And brethren, I, I would say there may not be a better week than this week right now to go and tell people about Jesus, to drop gospel seeds wherever we go, to say God loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus is the reason for the season. We've got, I mean, just think about this week that we have in front of us. All the stores are playing Christmas music right now. All the radio stations are playing Christmas music. Everybody's watching Charlie Brown and hearing the gospel presented. And here we are. Decorations everywhere. People wonder what the meaning is. There's never a better time right now than to talk about Jesus. Interest is so peaked right now. We can say, here's the reason for the season. Our Lord commissioned us to tell, and it's ours to obey. So I'm going to urge you to not be a Grinch this week. No Grinches this week. Grinches keep things to themselves and want more for themselves. That's none of us, okay? Now, I saw pictures from the youth staff retreat. I wish I had a picture. <laughs> Sean, that was an amazing Grinch costume. Wow, if you haven't seen that. I didn't think about having a picture up here, but 
Uh, I've never seen a Grinch costume quite like that, actually. No Grinches. Christians are not Grinches. We need to get this good news, the best gift of all the universe, and tell people about it. Overcoming our fears, obeying Jesus, who gave us this commission. And that leads us to the fourth gift from God that we're going to take out of this text. You know, most messages on this text will end at verse 20, but I think if you end at verse 20, you're going to miss out on how to love Jesus back in response to the way he has loved us. And so we're going to press on one more verse, and that sets us up actually for our Christmas Eve meditation. We're going to go a little farther in this text. But gift number four is our ability to obey. Yes, it is a gift from God that we are able to obey him. It changes our lives. So let's look at verse 21. We see Joseph and Mary obeying what God's will has been for centuries before up to that in the old covenant relationship between God and his people. It was his will and design for Israelite baby boys to be circumcised on, on the eighth day and brought to the temple to be dedicated and to be named, and they obeyed. This is why we do baby dedications, child dedications in our church today, this very thing, presenting the young children today. But look at verse 21. It says, outright, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is wholesale obedience from Mary and Joseph here. They are obeying everything that God says. Now, circumcision, that is the cutting off of a baby boy's foreskin, it had been the mark of the covenant between God and his people for 1,500 years. It had a twofold significance. Here's why they did it, and we need to know this. First of all, it showed symbolically the commitment to be cut off from all the evils of the world. All those other worldviews that are anti-God and steer away from God and keep people in the darkness, all idolatry and sin and covenant rebellion and pride, it's a desire, it's a commitment to be cut off from all of those and to be set apart as God's people, following him and obeying him. And second, it's the sign of God's provision for our sin to be removed. Here's the moment in this text right here that that provision's fulfillment was just born. Provision of God for all of our sins to be removed. Gone forever by the grace of God. So right after the proclaiming of the gospel, we see the pattern and the command and the gift that we can obey God. And I just want to draw out from Scripture as we close Jesus' pattern for us. Jesus' pattern and his teaching to us to obey to obey God, it's the right thing and it's the good thing for us. First of all, you see in your notes two categories. The first is that Jesus obeyed. Jesus lived a life that is to be our, our example. It's the ultimate example for how we should live in all situations. And as we study his life, obedience sticks out. Lots and lots of places. Let me just share a couple. John 4, 34, Jesus flat out says, My food is is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. 
So his life was entirely one to obey God, all of God's will for our entire lives, every part of it. And on and on and on, he did that perfectly and was committed to obeying God, so much so that Hebrews 5.8 says, although he was a son, a son of God, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And the point of the writer of Hebrews there is to show that Jesus showed that a life of obeying God, yes, is going to come with a cost. We might be mocked and ridiculed, and we might have to make sacrifices, and we might be, suff- we might be persecuted, we might have to endure suffering, even in our country. And of course, brothers and sisters around the world are indeed, oh, but the reward for obeying him is out of this world. It's complete fulfillment and meaningful with eternal life waiting. Well, Jesus' life showed that obeying God does come with a cost, but it's got the great reward also of loving him back. Look at what he says in 14, John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. That is a relationship with God. And it comes from obeying him. Our salvation isn't earned through obeying him. Oh, but the glories of honoring him and loving him and being loved in return this way and having this relationship with God. This is a gift that we can obey God. And that is the second point there. We can obey Loved by him, we can love him back. We are set free, not to party. We are set free, brothers and sisters, to love him back and obey him. John 8, 34 through 36. Jesus said, truly, 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 I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free... What is it? You will be free indeed. Again, no fear, all joy, meaning and purpose and a mission, and total freedom to obey Jesus. We don't just celebrate him being born, but also that his birth makes it possible for us to know God and to obey everything he wants us to do and receive that glory of knowing him. Obey him to what extent? Here's a little slogan you might want to write down. It says it well. Obeying Jesus is following his commands, his way, right away, all the way. The Bible is a big book. It takes us a long time to know everything about the character of God and everything he wants us to do and what's right and what's wrong and how to stay right and get back right. But he is long-suffering and patient along the way. He's a good God. Reject all the false gods. But as we grow, we'll keep obeying it next more and more. And that's why we're here together to do that very thing. Here are some next steps to put all this into action in this launch of Christmas week right here. Number one is to receive God's greatest gift ever given. 
Salvation through Jesus' gift of salvation can be yours today if it hasn't been already. He's already paid the cost. All you have to do is call out to him and repent, which is just simply turning from my own self-sufficiency and these things I was pursuing before to Jesus. Call on Jesus. He'll make you his today. And live and live. And if you have trusted Jesus, or when you do, here's what you can say to God. Here's a review of the four Christmas gifts. You can say to him right now where you are in your heart and your relationship with him, God, I will fear no more. He's commanded us to do that. I will fear no more. I will stand strong against whatever that fear is. I've identified mine, and I'm rejecting it with Jesus' power. To be filled with joy. Okay, teach me that joy, Jesus, in these terrible circumstances that I'm in right now, or that others loved ones are in. Fill us with joy. Make yourself known to us in this. And with that, begin evangelism, telling people about Jesus. It's what we call planting gospel seeds everywhere we go, and then seeking to obey all that Jesus commanded. That's what we can do today. Pray that prayer of commitment to God right now, and he will give you the power through his Holy Spirit to do it. Number three, then, I will share this gift with everyone. I return to this because of this week that we have. It all starts with prayer. Before you go, pray, and then go tell. Then go tell by making Christmas cookies. We haven't done that yet, by the way. We need to. Passing them out to your neighbors. Go out with your small groups. Celebrate Jesus at work. Fearlessly look for someone hurting to bless. Can we all do that this week? Go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it on the plains of Indiana. Amen? Go tell it on the plains of Indiana and on the mountain, wherever you find yourself to. The praise team has a song, and we're going to sing in response to Jesus right now our commitment to do that very thing. Let's do it.